Amen. Amen. Well, we are in part two of the healing series. And so uh, we're going to quickly look at this and uh, look at what the Lord would have to say to all of us today concerning divine healing. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank you for this day that we have. Thank you for this opportunity that we have to minister your word today. I pray that your word would go forth in power and boldness and that everything that's said and done would bring you the glory. And everyone shouted a great big amen. And uh, we started a sermon series last Sunday on divine healing. And I'm going to end it today. It's only a two-part series sermon. But I want you to really open your ears, open your heart, and listen to what I feel like the Holy Spirit wants you to hear today. Now, some of the stuff that I will speak about today will be a small review from last week. I'm not going to review everything. It's impossible for me to do that. But you might hear a few things that I mentioned about last week. And that's imperative that I do that because uh, I'm trying to lay a foundation and build a foundation on the importance of divine healing. So some of the stuff maybe you've heard last week, but there's a lot of new stuff that I want to bring out. And so with that together, where I'm going to lay a, a foundation for divine healing. Okay, I, I want to remind you that Pentecostalism is one of the fastest growing movements around the world. And Pentecostals is projected to increase by the number of 797 million by the year 2025. Others project that it's going to be 811 million by the year 2025. Alan Anderson writes this book, to the ends of the world. And in this book, he clearly defines that the Pentecostal movement is one of, is one of and is becoming the fastest growing religious movement within Christianity. 811 million, that is a lot of people who are experiencing the movement in which you are in called Pentecostalism. Now the Pentecostal church it has many different expressions and many different forms. Um, there is apostolic Pentecostals. There's oneness Pentecostals, Trinitarian Pentecostals. There, you know, and the list goes on and on and on. So there's many different expressions of it. But we are growing around the world at a rapid rate. Alan Anderson said that it is such a rapid rate that they're not even sure if it's going to be 811. They're suspecting, but it could be almost a billion because of the mass movement that this is causing around the world. Now, one of the things that they mentioned, and I agree with, is that there are four cardinal doctrines that the Pentecostal, most all of us, agree on. It unifies us around the world. That is, we all believe that uh, there is salvation through Christ alone. And without Him, there is no hope. Salvation through Jesus alone. We believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we believe that in divine healing, that there is healing for our physical bodies, and we believe in the soon coming King, who is Jesus Christ. The Assemblies of God on their website, who is the largest, one of the largest Pentecostal movements in the world, defines therefore core beliefs as Christ the Savior, Christ the Baptizer, Christ the Healer, and Christ the soon coming King. The reason that I mention this to you is because this is very fundamental to what we believe as Christians. We believe that not only is Jesus the Savior and he is the baptizer, but he is also a divine healer. 
and he's a soon coming king. And I want to focus on number three, that cardinal doctrine that he is a divine healer. There are those who want to disagree with that and downplay the issue that Jesus is a healer, but Jesus certainly is a healer. I want to deal with three things, and I'm going to tell you what they are, and we're going to go through these three things, all right? Number one, we're going to deal with is divine healing and other spiritual gifts ceased at the apostolic age? There are some who will believe that uh, it no longer exists, so we don't need to believe in it because God doesn't really do miraculous things any longer. And so uh, that's the first thing we're going to deal with. The second thing we're going to deal with is divine healing is only achieved through great faith. That is the extreme camp. The extreme camp is that uh, you cannot be healed unless you have great faith. And if you don't have great faith, you cannot be healed. And so we're going to deal with that for a few moments. And the last thing that we're going to deal with is divine healing is made possible through the atonement of Jesus, but it can be a mystery, can be a mystery. And so those are the three things that we're going to deal with. And each of these three things, I'm going to deal with it by scripture. Now, there is going to be lots of scripture. The reason that I might have lots of scripture this morning is because the Bible is our rule book and the Bible is our playbook. The Bible is our rule for faith and practice. And so I want to make sure that you have a good diet of what I am trying to explain here this morning. My objective this morning is not for you to shout and to be participatory, although I like a participatory church. But my objective this morning is for you to learn. My objective is for you to take this in. And when you leave church this morning, you've got a good foundation on the doctrine of divine healing. Now, of course, I don't care if you say amen. I like that. But uh, my objective is for you to really listen this morning and to uh, really uh, take in the word of God. Okay. So number one, everyone shout number one, number one, everybody shout number one, divine healing and other spiritual gifts ceased at the apostolic age. Now, what do I mean by that? There are some people that believe that when the last apostle died, that when the last apostle died, all miracles ceased and, and healing ceased. Now, there's a, couple, there's a couple different views concerning that. Some will believe that God can heal, obviously. He can heal, but he really doesn't do it that much as he did in the New Testament. And so this is a prominent doctrine within Christianity. Many of our brothers and sisters in different expressions of Christianity believe that God no longer does miracles like he did, and he no longer does divine healing like he did. And so we're going to look at this very briefly, and I'm going to share with you where I believe that they are wrong, okay? The first scripture I want you to see concerning this, you don't have to turn there. The scripture will be behind me. It is 1 Corinthians 12 and verse number 9. The Apostle Paul was very clear that he said this. He said that there are different gifts, and one of the gifts is the gift of healing. Somebody say healing. So everybody shout, healing is a gift. That is one of the gifts of the Spirit, not all of them. Uh, the gifts of the Spirit is more than just nine, I believe. But one of them could be the gift of healing. He says, he says there's one Spirit but different gifts. And so he goes on to say in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 1, he says, I don't want you to be ignorant concerning these gifts. Now we know healing is one of the gifts, he says, I don't want you to be ignorant concerning this gift. I want you to be well-informed. There's 
he's writing this, this discourse and he wants this church who is supposedly out of order, he wants them to know that I want you to be informed about some spiritual gifts and you know healing is one of them. He goes on to say in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 7, I want you to notice this phrase that he uses. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 7, he says to the church, he says, I don't want you to come, I don't want you to come short in no gift as you wait for the coming of Jesus Christ. Now, isn't that interesting? The, the word for gift there is charismata, which means the gifts of the Spirit. He is saying this, I don't want you to be short. I don't want you to come behind in any gift, charismata. I don't want you to be, I don't want you to be ignorant concerning it, and I don't want you to come behind. I want you to understand what I'm saying here. I want you to have these gifts. Do you see what he's saying here? And I want to ask you a question. Has Jesus returned yet? All right, that's half of the church. I said, has Jesus returned yet? No, Jesus has not returned yet. And Paul is saying, as you are waiting for the coming of Jesus Christ, I do not want you to come behind in any of these gifts. I want you to have these gifts. And I want everyone to shout as loud as you can shout. He wants me to have the gifts. Come on, I want you to shout it again. He wants me to have the gifts. He says, I don't want you to come behind. I want you to have these gifts as you wait for the coming of the Lord. And the Bible says in Romans 11 verse 29, it's interesting that Paul says this, for the gifts, the same word is charismata, which is the gifts of the spirit in the Greek. And the calling of God is irrevocable. That means he doesn't take away his gifts. He doesn't take away the gifts of the Spirit. They're irrevocable. They're without repentance. You are to participate in them until the coming of the Lord. So somebody shout with me. He wants me to have the gifts. Come on, shout it like you know it's true. He wants me to have the gifts. And the gifts are not irrevocable. He doesn't take them away as you wait for the coming of the Lord. Our brothers and sisters will agree with, disagree with us and say, now hold on, Pastor Pennington. Just look at this scripture now. Okay, well, let's look at it. First Corinthians, first Corinthians chapter number 13, verse eight. This is what our other brothers and sisters will say. We can't believe in the gifts of the Spirit. Don't believe in divine healing. Don't believe in the miracles any longer. Don't believe in all that because it's all done away with when the last apostle died. And this is their main scripture that they use. Love never fails, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will fail or cease. Whether there's knowledge, it will vanish away. He goes on to verse number nine, says this. He says, for we know in part... And we prophesy in part, verse number 10, he states, but when that which is perfect, somebody shout perfect, has come, that which is in part will be done away with. So Paul is saying, when the perfect has come, everything will be done away with. And what is that everything? Prophecy, right? Tongues, right? Is that what he said? So when the perfect has come, Tongues will be done away with. Prophecy will be done away with. Okay? Verse number 11, he states, 
But when I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, I became a man, I put away childish things. Verse 12, he then says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face, now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I'm known. Now stop here. The apostle is making it clear that tongues will be done away with. Prophecy will be done away with. He is saying, in essence, the gifts of the Spirit is done away with when the perfect has come. Now, our brothers and sisters will say that perfect is the completion of the Bible. When the Bible was completed, you don't need prophecy any longer. You don't need tongues any longer. You don't need divine healing any longer. You don't need the gifts of the Spirit any longer. Those things were in practice in the church before the Bible was put together. Divine healing only happened because it validated who Jesus was. He's the Son of God. And since we got the written word, we already know who Jesus is, we don't necessarily need the gifts of the Spirit or divine healing any longer because the perfect is the Bible. Well, I would have to disagree with them because I do not believe that the Apostle Paul, when he was writing 1 Corinthians, thought about the completion of the Bible. The Apostle Paul wasn't even thinking he would be in the Bible. The Apostle Paul didn't even know there was going to be a New Testament. So I don't think it's about the completion of the Bible. I think that context tells us all. You know why I think context tells us all? Verse 12, he says... What I'm saying, he says, in the end, I'm going to understand everything because I'm going to be face to face. Uh, can I just say that again? He says, in the end, I'm going to know and I'm going to be understood. I'm going to have knowledge of what is happening because I see him face to face. He says, I'm going to understand everything Right now, I'm looking through a glass darkly. Right now, I'm looking through a window that is kind of muggy. I'm looking through a window that's dirty. I don't understand everything. But he says, there's coming a time that I'm going to see him face to face and I'm going to understand everything. In other words, when I see him face to face, then... Then I don't need tongues. Then I don't need prophecy. Then I don't need divine healing. But right now, I'm looking through a glass darkly and tongues and prophecy, come on somebody, they are there to help me understand because I am living in part. I'm living in part. I don't understand everything. What is the perfect? The perfect is not the completion of the Bible. The perfect is Jesus. When the perfect has come, when Jesus has come, there is no need for prophecy. When Jesus comes, there's no need for tongues. When Jesus comes, there's no need for divine healing. When the perfect has come, there's no need for it any longer. And I want to ask this church a question this morning. Has Jesus come back? Has the perfect come back? Have we seen him face to face? Are we still looking through a glass darkly? Yes, we do. And so therefore, we believe they have not ceased, but they're still in operation of the church. Now, it's interesting that my brothers and sisters will quote that, but the Bible says in verse number 8, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8, go back to there. Uh, 
Paul says that when the perfect has come, knowledge will be done away with. Now, there's a couple Greek words for that, but one of the Greek words is, is general knowledge. It doesn't even make sense because we all have, knowledge is not done away with. We're, every one of you is operating in some sort of knowledge. And it has not vanished. So if knowledge has not vanished away, then the gifts of the Spirit have not vanished away either. Is this, is this all right preaching right here? You see, uh, Gordon Fee, Gordon Fee, who is a Pentecostal uh, theologian, uh, respected in Pentecostalism, quotes this, and he says this about the gifts of the Spirit, and I quote, At the coming of Christ, the final purpose of God's saving work in Christ will have been reached. At that point, those gifts now necessary for the building up of the church in the present age will disappear because, quote, the complete will have come. Who is the complete? Christ. He said to cite Karl Barth's marvelous image, because the sun rises, all lights are extinguished. Is the gifts of the Spirit done away with? Absolutely not. Let me just remind you what the early church father said in the year 125, Arrhenius, which is several years after the apostolic age. He said this, and I quote, For some do certainly and truly drive out devils, so that those who have been cleansed, thus cleansed from evil spirits, frequently both believe in Christ and join themselves to the church, Others have foreknowledge of things to come. They see visions and utter prophetic expressions. Others still heal the sick by the laying, of, by the laying their hands upon them, and they are made well. Irenaeus in the second century in his work called Against Heresies. Martin Luther said in the 16th century, and I quote from his journal, Often it has happened, and still does, that devils have been driven out in the name of Christ, and also by calling on his name and in prayer, the sick have been healed. Now, if miracles were done away with, Irenaeus wouldn't be quoting this. Martin Luther, who is the great reformer of the church in the medieval period, wouldn't be driving devils out in the name of Jesus. This is in the 16th period, 16th century. Now, I want you to, I want to read to you, now I'm trying I'm trying not to get excited, but it just happens to me. You know, it just happens. I, I want to read to you John Wesley's journal in the 18th century. And these are his words. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church. And he said, I would, he, he said this in his journal. I was obliged to lay down most of the day, being easy only in that position. In the evening, besides the pain in my back and head, and the fever which still continued upon me. Just as I begun, begin to pray, I was seized with such a cough that I could barely speak. At that same time, at that same time came strongly to my mind, these signs shall follow them that believe. I cried aloud on Jesus to increase my faith and to confirm the word of his grace. While I was speaking, 
My pain vanished away. The fever left me. My bodily strength returned for many weeks, and I felt neither pain nor weakness. Unto thee, O Lord, do I give thanks and praise. This is John Wesley in the 18th century. John Wesley then records in his works, and I quote, I do not recall any scripture wherein we are taught that miracles was to be confined within the limits of the apostolic age or the Cyprus age or any point of time longer or shorter, even to the restitution of all things. John Wesley said, I do not recall, and he was the man of one book, I do not recall any scripture that teaches that miracles were done away with in the apostolic age. He says, I, I, I can't believe that. Camp meetings were the result of those old Methodist believers seeking to be sanctified. And John Wesley recorded that many miracles happened in those camp meetings. I don't have time to explain all of them. So to say that healing was done away with in the apostolic age and healing was done away with with the last apostle, I cannot believe that. I cannot believe that I cannot believe that the last apostle, I think it was in 90 AD, is sitting on a chair and he tells the church, I'm getting ready to die, so if you want to be healed, you better come to my house so I can lay hands on you because when I lay hands on you, and this is your last opportunity because I'm getting ready to die, folks. I don't think that was their mindset. I think that the Holy Spirit was given to the church to replicate Jesus' ministry here on earth. Can I say that again? The Holy Spirit was given to the church just so that we can do what Jesus did while he was here on earth. So to say that miracles was done away with, I cannot believe that. I cannot believe that divine healing was done away with with the last apostle. Irenaeus spoke of healing. John Wesley spoke of healing. And that was after the last apostle. Number two, there are those who will say that divine healing is only achieved through great faith. This is the, this is the extreme camp. This camp believes that you're only made well if you have great faith. Listen, I've prayed for lots of people and I thought they had great faith. And they did have great faith and they still died. I've prayed for lots of people who didn't even have faith and they were healed. So what is it? Does what kind of faith? Is there a thermometer to record how much faith you have? How do you know you got great faith? Is divine healing achieved through great faith? Now, I do believe that faith is a great component. Faith is a great component in the divine healings of Jesus. But is it great faith? Is it great faith? Now look at this scripture. The Bible says in Luke chapter number 17, beginning with verse number five, Luke chapter 17 and verse number five, the apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. Now here are the apostles, they're crying to the Lord, Lord, increase our faith. And this is what Jesus said in verse number six. Jesus says in verse number six, and the Lord said to him, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to the mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and planted in the sea and it would obey you. Did Jesus say to the disciples, I'm going to increase your faith? Nowhere. Jesus did not say, I'm going to increase your faith. The apostles were concerned about the level of their faith. But Jesus says, the faith that you need 
is the size of a mustard seed. Have you ever seen a mustard seed? It's a very small. So you know what Jesus is saying? He's saying small faith can accomplish much. Small faith can do wonders. Small faith can do the miraculous. Jesus said, if you have faith as a grain of a mustard seed, you will say to a mulberry tree, be plucked up and thrown into the seed. That is a great miracle. Jesus is saying it doesn't take great faith. It just takes small faith. Do you have faith as a grain of a mustard seed? It takes small faith, little faith, little faith can accomplish much. Mark chapter 2, verse number 1. It's not about the level of your faith. It's about small faith. It's about believing God. And Mark chapter 2, verse number 1. Jesus enters Capernaum. You know the story. He enters Capernaum on the same day and it was heard that he was in the house. The Bible says in verse number two, that is, he's in the house. The Bible says they gathered together and they were, they, there was not even room to receive Jesus. Now this is a great church service. I mean, Jesus is preaching to them. There's not even room to receive Jesus. Verse number three, the Bible says, and they came to him bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. So here is a man who is sick. He can't walk. And the Bible says in verse number four, and when they could not come near to him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was and they broke through and let the bed down through the roof. Verse number five, the Bible says, and when Jesus saw their faith... You see, ladies and gentlemen, sometimes it's not our faith that performs the miracle. Sometimes it's the faith of other people. Sometimes people don't have the faith to believe. And here in this story, it wasn't an issue of great faith. It was the issue of their faith. Somebody say their faith. Somebody shout their faith. It wasn't the sick person's faith. It was their faith. It's not about great faith. Oh, no. It's not about increasing my faith. In this case, it was the faith of someone else. The Bible says in Mark chapter 8 and verse number 22, this is the healing of a blind man. The Bible says, and they came to Bethsaida, and they brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. You know the story. Jesus healed the blind man. But the blind man didn't come to Jesus to himself because he couldn't see but they brought him to Jesus. It was the faith of other people. You see, sometimes it is not your faith. Sometimes it could be the faith of somebody else that believes you for a miracle. Now, what about this story? The Bible says in Luke chapter, excuse me, Mark chapter 9 and verse 17. Mark chapter 9, verse 17. The crowd answered and said, Teacher, I brought you my son, who was mute. Now get this story. This is an interesting story. And, whatever, and whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth. He gashes and gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. And so I spoke to your disciples and they could not cast it out. Verse number 19. The Bible says, and he answered and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. And the Bible says in verse number 20, they brought him to him. And when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him. He fell down on the ground. He foamed at the mouth. Verse number 21, guess what happens? 
And he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from a ch- from child. This has been happening since a child. And often he throws himself in the fire and, and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us. Verse 23. And Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. Verse 24. And the Bible says, immediately the father of the child cried out and said, Lord, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. Is it possible that you can pray for divine healing or pray for a miracle, and yet there is a war between I believe and yet I don't believe? Of course. I believe if we're all honest, that's where we're all at. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. But this story teaches us that he believed more than he doubted. And if you're going to weigh on one side, make sure you believe more than you doubt. Can I hear an amen this morning? And verse number 25, the Bible says, when Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, death and dumb spirit, I command you to come out, come out of him and enter no more. Verse 26, then the spirit cried out, convulsed greatly, came out of him, and he became as a dead man, and many said, he's dead. He wasn't dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. So what are you saying, pastor? I am saying this, that even in this miracle, this man was struggling between what he believed and his unbelief, and a miracle still occurred. You see, it's not about having perfect faith. It's not about having great faith. It's not about saying I'm perfect in my faith and I'm not wavering. I believe him totally. Sometimes there's a war within you that you believe, but yet there's this idea that I doubt a little bit because it's the human nature. And I want to tell this church that in spite of all that mess, he is able still to perform the miraculous. He is able to perform the miraculous. He's able to work through our emotions and perform the miraculous. I am so glad that I don't have to be perfect when I come before an all-knowing God, that God already knows my emotions. You know what? I was reading this last night. Get this. The disciples said to the Lord, Lord, this man said to the Lord, Lord, I brought my son and your disciples couldn't cast it out. Is that what it said? You know what this story teaches us? That true faith does not take confidence in itself, nor does it judge Jesus by the weaknesses of his followers. That's shouting territory right there. You know what the man did? The man said, Jesus, your disciples couldn't do it. But I'm not going to judge you based on the weaknesses of your followers. And isn't that what church people do nowadays? People won't even come to church because of the weaknesses of his followers. But true faith doesn't judge Jesus by the weaknesses of his followers. True faith says, I believe you, whether your followers are weak or not. My faith is not in them. My faith is in you. 
My faith is in you. Could it be that the healing ministry of Jesus is maybe the compassion ministry of Jesus? Mark chapter, Matthew 14, 14. Jesus over and over healed the sick. And the Bible says when he went out and saw a great multitude, what did he do? He was moved with compassion and he healed the sick. Could it be that Jesus can look in our messes? That can Jesus look in our unbelief and our faith and say, you know what? I love you and I am moved with compassion and I'm going to heal you anyway. Hallelujah. It's not about having great faith. Oh, faith is involved. Sometimes it's the faith of other people. Sometimes we have those mixed feelings of I believe, but there's unbelief, and God has a way of working through all of it. Lastly, my last point. So first, divine healing, we looked at, some people believe it ceased with the last apostle. I don't believe that. Number two, we've looked at the divine healing is only achieved by great faith. Faith is involved, but I think that God can work even when our faith is not great. Number three, we're going to look at, this is my last point, that divine healing is made possible for us through the atonement, but sometimes it can be a mystery. It can be a mystery. Now, I think it's very imperative that we understand that there is overwhelming evidence that God does heal. There's overwhelming evidence in the New Testament that Jesus had a healing ministry. As a matter of fact, Luke said in Acts chapter 10 and verse 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost. How he went about healing all who were sick and oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. There is overwhelming evidence that Jesus is a healer. It's not just New Testament, it's Old Testament. The Bible says in Acts, excuse me, Exodus 15, 26. Exodus 15, 26. Moses even said that he was a healer. The Bible says... And he said, if you will diligently heed to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight and give ear to his commandments and keep all of his statutes, I will put none of these diseases on you which I, which I brought on the Egyptians for I am the Lord that heals. Is there anybody that still believes he's a healer today? I said, is there anybody that still believes he's a healer today? The Bible says in Matthew 9, 35, the Bible says, and Jesus went about all the cities and the villages, teaching in the synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. I want to let you know that he heals every disease, and he can heal every sickness. Hallelujah. The Bible says in Matthew 12 and verse 15, Matthew 12 and verse 15. And when Jesus knew it, he withdrew from there and a great multitude followed him and he healed them all. Somebody raise your right hand and say, he heals all. Matthew 15 and verse number 30. 15 and verse 30. The great multitude came to him having with them the lame, the blind, and many others. And he laid them down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them. Somebody say he healed 
them. The Bible says in Luke chapter 4 and verse number 40, And when the sun was setting, and all those who were sick with various diseases brought them, to him. They brought them to him and he laid his hands on every one of them and he healed them. He laid his hands on all of them and he healed them. Somebody say he healed them. The Bible says in Luke chapter 6 verse 17. Luke 6 17. And he came down with them and stood at a level place with the crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of the people from all of Judah and Jerusalem, and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sodom, came to hear him, and he healed their diseases. Somebody say he healed their diseases. Is there anybody in this Pentecostal church that still believes in the New Testament that it demonstrates that he is a healing Jesus? I said, is there anybody that still believes he's a healing Jesus? He's a healing Jesus. There is no way you can get around. I can go on and on and on and on. But for the sake of time, I won't read the rest of them. But I can go on and on. The, it is impossible to read the New Testament and not understand that Jesus had compassion on the sick and he healed the sick. I know that not everybody is healed. And that is why healing is a mystery. I cannot get up here and be a pastor and a student of the word and tell you that everyone gets healed. That's not correct. I have prayed for people and they have died and not got healed. I have prayed for young people who was variously vexed with cancer and did not get healed. I've prayed for people and they did get healed. Not all is healed. But we do believe that healing is made possible through the atonement. But we also got to trust God's sovereignty in those issues. God is sovereign. God knows best. And we can pray for people who is godly. We can pray for people who have done the right things. Maybe that person don't have sin in their life. Maybe that person has walked godly before the Lord. And we've done exactly what the Bible said. And yet they did not get healed. In those cases, we've just got to believe and trust in God's sovereignty and leave it in God's hands. We are not called to understand everything we are called to trust Him and obey Him. In those situations, we've got to give it to the Lord. We can't get mad at God. We can't close God out. We've got to trust that God is King, that God is Master, and He is Sovereign, and we did our part and let God take care of the results. Because the Bible is clear that there are people who is godly who is sick. You remember, The Bible says in Deuteronomy 29, 29, Moses told the people, he said, there are things that you won't understand that the secret things belong to the Lord. There are some things that you will never understand. The secret things belong to the Lord. His thoughts are higher than your thoughts. His ways are higher than your ways. The secret things belong to God. There are other people that you see in the Bible that was sick. What about John chapter 5 verse 3? John chapter 5 verse 3, the Bible says there was a great multitude of people that was sick that day. But if you read the story, only one person was healed. One person out of the great multitude was healed. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 19, Paul was writing a letter to his son in the faith, Timothy. He's writing to his son in the faith and he says, listen, I'm greeting Priscilla and Aquila here. He says, but in verse 20, he says, don't forget that I've left. 
I'd left some people back because they were sick. Here, Paul the Apostle, a great man of faith, here is saying in his letter, there are some people that are sick that are left behind. We got to understand that. We also got to understand 2 Kings chapter 13, verse 14. 2 Kings 13, 14. There was a great man by the name of Elisha, and the Bible says he was sick. Elisha became sick with an illness which caused him to die. Here is a great man of the faith. Here is a great man who operated in the anointing and the power of God, but yet the Bible says he became sick and he died. I am saying to you, ladies and gentlemen, there are some cases that we will pray and they could be righteous like Elisha. They can do what God's told them to do and live a godly life, and yet in the end, they're not healed. What's our stance? Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to God. God is sovereign. My responsibility is to pray and to believe and leave the results to God. Can I hear an amen? Hallelujah. There's other hindrances to healing. And I, I said this last week and I'm not going to go into it again. But I just want to just quickly put it behind me. There's other hindrances to healing. Remember? I mean, uh, unbelief can hinder healing. I mean, sometimes people are sick for a long, extended period of time so that God would get the glory. Sometimes sin can hinder uh, healing. Sometimes the failure to ask. Sometimes a demonic influence. Sometimes just the lack of common sense. You got to take care of your body. Sometimes God wants you to go to a medical doctor. Sometimes God chooses to heal through doctors and nurses. And number seven, sometimes, like I just said, it is God's sovereignty. God chooses not to. So the question that we've got to ask ourselves is this. Now, I want you to listen to me because I'm almost done. The question we've got to ask is this. If we're not careful, we, fall into, we can fall into a category called hyper-sovereignty, which states this. God is God and whatever happens will happen. And that is incorrect theology. We believe in the sovereignty of God, but we're not hyper-sovereignty. We don't sit around and say whatever happens will happen since God is in control. The scripture commands us to do some things. The scripture commands us to pray. The scripture commands us to pray for the sick. The scripture commands us to go preach the gospel around the world. It's not about just sitting around and playing, or playing with our thumbs and saying whatever will be, will be. If that's the case, let's not go to church. Let's not preach the gospel. Let's not send missionaries around the world. There is a part to play. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul said, we are co-laborers together with God. God uses people for his plan to be accomplished. So my thing to you is this. Healing is made possible through the atonement of Jesus Christ. We believe that not only did Jesus pay for the sins of the world, but also his death also paid for the healing of our physical bodies. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. And with his stripes, we are made well. I said, with his stripes, we are made well. 1 Peter 2.24. 1 Peter 2.24. Uh, I want you to see this because I think this is important. Not only did the prophet Isaiah say that he was 
He was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. And by his stripes, they are healed. Peter thought it was so important. He thought he would echo those same words. And with himself bore our sins in the body on the tree that we, having died to sin, might live for the righteousness by whose stripes you were made healed or whole. The Greek word for the word healed here is the word completeness. It takes in soul, body, and spirit because the crucifixion of Jesus is threefold. Not only does he save us spiritually, but he also can save us in the soulish realm. He can deal with the mental disorders of our bodies. Not only can he deal with the social realm, but he can deal with the physical realm. Can I hear an amen? He is a healer. Somebody say amen. He's a healer. Now, I want you to see this. This is important. Not only is the healing made through the atonement of Jesus and made possible, and we know that there are cases where not everybody will be healed. It's a mystery. And we've got to trust the secret things belong to the Lord. But our responsibility, according to the New Testament, that when you look at the New Testament, there is an overwhelming evidence that Jesus heals. And since there is an overwhelming evidence that Jesus heals, then let's just believe that. Can I hear an amen? And leave the results left up to God. Let's ask, believe, and receive. The Bible says, Paul said, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So this is my challenge to you this morning. My challenge is let's follow the scriptures. My challenge is let's ask, believe, let's receive, and let's leave the results up to God. The Bible says in Mark chapter 1 and verse number 40, Mark chapter 1 verse 40, now a leper came to him, employing him, kneeling down to him, and saying to him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And the Bible says, and Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him, and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. Woo, I hear the Holy Spirit asking today, do you want to be made well? Do you want to be made clean? The Bible says in Mark chapter 10 and verse 51, Mark 10, 51, and Jesus answered and said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said, Rabboni, that I might receive my sight. Verse 52, and Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. Can you hear Jesus saying, what do you want me to do? I'm about to shout up in here. What do you want me to do for you? The Bible says in Matthew 20 and verse 29, Matthew 20 and verse 29, now as they went out of Jericho, there was a great multitude that followed him. Verse number 30, and behold, two blind men were sitting by the road when they heard that Jesus was passing by. For they cried out saying, have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. Verse number 31, then the multitude warned him that they should be quiet, but they cried out with more saying, have mercy on us son of David. Verse number 32, and Jesus stood still and he called them and said to him, what do you want me to do 
for you. Can somebody say amen? Then he said, Lord, that I might receive my sight and my eyes be opened. And verse number 34, then Jesus had compassion, touched his eyes, and immediately their eyes received strength, and they followed. Hallelujah. I can go on and on. Jesus saying, what do you want me to do for you? It doesn't hurt to ask. <laughs> it doesn't hurt to ask. As a matter of fact, James 5 and verse 14, is there any among you who are sick? Let them call for the elders of the church and let them pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. John chapter 14, verse 12. The scripture records, and most surely, I say unto you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. Verse 13, and whatever you ask in my name that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Verse 14, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. I will do it. Ask, ask. Maybe we need to get back to the art of asking. Do you know why we don't ask? Because it's pride. I can't ask for help. I'd never let anybody know I'm struggling. Asking is the reversal of pride. Ask him to heal you. Ask him to save you. Ask him. Matthew 21, verse 22 Ask him. And whatever things you ask in prayer, believe that you might receive. Mark 11, verse 23. For surely I say to you, that whoever would say to this mountain, be removed, be cast in the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes those things which he says, it will be done, and he will have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say to you, that whatever things you ask in prayer, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Ask. Ask to be healed. The Bible says in Luke 8, verse 49, I'm almost done. Luke 8, verse 49, the Bible says, while he was still speaking, someone came from the ruler of the synagogue's house saying to him, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher. This is the story of Jairus. Verse number 51, then the Bible begins to say, and verse number 51, he says, I don't want you to be troubled. Don't go to his house. Don't even bother because your, your daughter is sick. Your daughter's not going to be made well. But when Jesus heard it, he answered and said, do not be afraid. Only believe and she will be made well. So what is our responsibility? Our responsibility is to ask. Our responsibility is to believe. Jesus said, believe, do not be afraid, but believe and she will be made well. 
Matthew 9, 27, not only should you ask, not only should you believe, Jesus departed from there and two blind men followed him crying, saying, Son of David, have mercy on us. And when he came into the house, the blind men came to him and Jesus said, do you believe that I'm able? Do you believe I'm able to do this? And they said, yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, according to your faith, let it be. What are you saying, pastor? I'm saying, ask. I'm saying, believe. Ask, believe. Ask, believe him. What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said, Rabboni, that I might receive my sight. Believe and ask. Ask and believe. Relinquish your pride. Stand in his presence and ask him to heal you. Ask him to heal you. John 4, verse 49. The nobleman said to him, Sir, you better come before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your son lives. So the man believing the word that Jesus spoke to him and he went the way. You've got to believe the word. He believed the word and he went his way and his son was healed. Isn't that the correlation of scripture? Matthew 8, 16. Look at this. The evening was come. They brought to him who was demon possessed and they cast the spirits out with a word. Ask him. Believe. But just don't believe. Believe the word. Believe the word. And he believed the word. And he went his way. And his son was made healed. His son was made whole. The evening had come. And Jesus drove out evil spirits with the word. Not just believe anything, but believe the word. Ask, believe, but believe the word. He cast them out with the spirits with a word. And he healed all who were sick. Matthew 14, verse 35. Matthew 14, verse 35. My last two scriptures. Bible says, and when the evening, when, when the men of the place recognized him, they sent into all the surrounding villages and regions and brought all who were sick. And the Bible says, and they begged him that they might only touch the hem of his garment. And as many touched him, they were made completely well. As many as touched him was made completely well. Reminds me with the woman with the issue of blood. She pressed through the crowd. And she said to herself, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, I will be made well. The hem of his garment was the prayer tassel. 
And as she went through the crowd, she didn't just touch the skirt of his garment or his robe. She touched the prayer tassel. And those tassels represented the law of God. And when she reached out and touched the tassels, she was coming. She didn't know she was, but she was coming in contact with the word of God. And ladies and gentlemen, I'm telling you, you've got to ask for your healing. You've got to believe your healing. And not only do you got to believe, you've got to believe the word of God come in contact with the power of God and the word of God and as many as will touch him they will be made well and the Bible says Jesus stood and looked around and said who touched me I felt virtue flow from my body and the disciples said Lord don't you see the crowd they're thronging and they're up against you many people are touching you but only one, Jesus said, touched me. Ladies and gentlemen, there's many of you here today. And there's, we're singing and we're praying. But how many of us will touch him? Touch him with your faith. Touch him with your asking. Touch him with the believing of the word of God. Divine healing is made possible through the atoning work of Jesus Christ. Yes, there's a mystery to it, but we will stand and we will declare that Christ is the Savior, Christ is the baptizer, Christ is the healer, and Christ is the soon coming King.